Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I already mentioned to you last Sunday that Rachel and I were going to tag team today. And um, she mentioned to me in the in the office upstairs, she said, you know, Stephen, there's nobody I'd rather tag team with than you. I'm not sure I like the reason she gave. She didn't say it was because I was so erudite and excellent in speech. It was that she said, I don't have to worry about having enough. I just get up and do what I got, and when I'm done, I dump it off to you. So, Rachel, get up here, give us what you got, and then you can dump it off to me. I'm already sniffing, guys. <laughs> Y'all know it's not going to go up from here. <laughs> so I brought a whole package of tissue. And I have a lot of words I want to say to you. And I can't do it because I'll be laid on the floor crying and sobbing. And I won't be able to say what the Lord gave me. But I'm going to say this. There's a saying that Desi and I have quoted a lot in ministry. And this pastoral team has quoted. And we have tried to live in a way that that we don't fulfill this quote but it says hurt people hurt people and if i could sum up our future because of our time in newark it would be that i'm not worried about that because we have been loved so extensively and so deep by so many people that when we get to vanuatu and for the rest of our ministry i expect that love to pour out on the kingdom of God, and everywhere we go, that the love of Newark will be poured on people you have never met. And I just want to say thank you. And I can't move this microwave, microwave, huh, this microphone away either, so you're just going to have to listen to me. But when we were picked up at the airport, and Steve and I were talking, and he, he said, in a conversation, he said, do you want to tag team with me? I said, I can't preach my own commissioning service. That's just not done. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this service isn't all about you. Y'all know the Lord says that to me most of the time before I preach anyway. It's not about you, Rachel. He said, this service isn't all about you. I have a very specific prophetic word for Newark that goes because today... The entire church is to be commissioned, not just the Lugo family. So if you will open your hearts and don't listen to me, but listen to the word of the Lord that's coming forth today. A very, it's a very special day, not just for us, but also for Newark. I didn't bring my bag. I've already set my stuff out on the side. But to commission means an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or group of people. It's a group of people officially charged with a particular function. Today, you are those people. Today, we are Newark, and we are all being commissioned by God. And I want to read you the passages of Scripture he gave me about another people that were commissioned in a time long, long ago. In the book of Joshua, it says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south of the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. We're going to skip over to chapter 3. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River, where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the ark of the covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. He will surely drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites ahead of you. Look, the Ark of the Covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one for each tribe. The priests will carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the water flow will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Because God doesn't like to just do a miracle. He likes to let things get a little out of proportion first, just to make sure you know who's, who's doing the work. The water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbank was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, Take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at a place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He said, Go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, twelve stones in all one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe. Just as the Lord had told Joshua, they carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all the Lord commands that Moses gave to Joshua were carried out. And meanwhile, the people carried across the river, hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the Ark of the Lord as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses had directed. These armed men were about 40,000 strong and ready for battle. And the Lord was with them as they crossed over the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. 
And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord said to Joshua, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. I want you to notice all through here, Joshua is hearing the voice of the Lord. As soon as the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on high ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and then they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho. And it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, where he dried it up until all had crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful And so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place had been called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. And the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvest from the land. And no manna. They had been living on manna for many, many, many years. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. And when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you a friend or a foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's armies replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Today, we just read a story about a man and a nation that were commissioned. Today, God is commissioning this church body. I'm going to go back through and I'm going to repeat to you some words that the Lord specifically said out of this passage. He said, I will not fail you or abandon you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go. And tell the people to get their provisions ready. I would like the pastoral team to kind of stand up on both sides of the altar here. They can fan out however they would like. The scripture says, since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Newark, today, God is asking you, will you cross the river? We've been in a land and a place for a long time. Good things have happened. God has done a great work. And now he has put a team of leaders before you to lead you to a place you have never been. That can be scary. It can be frustrating. We have a God that we say created this earth. That put his fingers in the mud and in the dust and created us as humans. And he's done these wonderful miracles. And then he asks us, will you cross the river? And we're like, well, you sure you got a plan? I don't know about you, that's what I do. I'm like, ah so sure about the other side we're doing a good job here good things are happening I understand this but if he's really the God that can take dust and create a human as complex as us and breathe life into us isn't he a God that already knows what's on the other side of the river 
Today he is saying to Newark, I will not fail or abandon you. And he has given you leaders to guide you across the river. And to get your provisions ready to gather yourself up. Today, God is saying, Newark, will you gather yourself up and prepare to cross the river? God won't do that for us. He won't drag us across the river. And he won't gather our stuff up for us. He's saying, gather your provisions. Prepare yourself. Prepare your mind. Prepare your stuff to cross the river. Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. God has done the miraculous in this church. I've heard the testimonies from its birth, from the inception of Newark. And today God is saying, we will make a memorial for those things. Today we're going to do that. We're physically going to make a memorial for those things. And God says, and now I'm going to take you across your river today. I'm going to walk you through on dry land. But you have to gather yourself and be willing to be commissioned. Because when you're commissioned, you don't get to make all the plans. And everybody doesn't always know ahead of time when you're commissioned what to do when you accept. Two things will happen if Newark will commit to this commissioning. If Newark will say, God, we will cross the river into what you are offering us, what you have called us to do. Two things will happen, just like it did to Joshua. First, the source of your provision will change. It is from God, and God has always taken very good care of Newark. But when you cross the river, he will remove the manna. And he will walk you straight into a harvest that has already been prepared ahead of time. They crossed the river and they ate grain. They crossed the river and they had sustenance that was already prepared. And it will be different. But the first thing God will do today, if you will accept, if you will commit, God will change the source of your provision. It won't look the same. It will be more abundant. It will have more variety. You will have to get out and work in it and glean your own grain. It's not going to fall out of the sky, but it will be better. And the other thing, the two, that's the two prophetic words God gave me after crossing. God spoke to Joshua the whole time through the whole process. But when he crossed the river, Joshua saw God face to face. If Newark will cross the river, he will reveal himself to you in a way he has never shown himself to Newark. But we have to gather ourselves and cross. And we don't have to do it alone. We do it together and we follow our leaders. God has placed... I would like everybody to stand... We never can go forward without acknowledging where we've been. The Israelites came out of Egypt. They met God at the mountain of God. He changed them. He made a plan for them, and he took them forward. And when they crossed this river with a group of people, many that had never, weren't there at the beginning. Many of us here at Newark today weren't here at the very beginning. We didn't cross the Red Sea. He said, I want to show you again, and I'm going to have you cross a new river but you're going to leave a memorial so you know what God has done and where you have been. And today we have rocks. And I, there is no force, there is no pressure. But if you are willing to be a part of what God is calling Newark to, I'm going to ask you today, your pastoral team is going to lead, if you would take a rock and together we will build a memorial. Well, if I can move this back. Together, right in the middle, we will build a pile of stones honoring where we have been. But in that, committing to go forward to what God is commissioning 
new ark to do with the promise that he will give a new source of provision and with the promise that he will reveal himself to us face to face. And if you are willing to do that, our pastoral team is going to lead the way. And you can come along the sides and do the same. Now let's just take a minute and worship the Lord. We worship you, Lord, our King. Submit ourselves to your will, O oh God. Praise 
you lift your voice to him and accept his word. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Before I turn to my portion of this service and the word that I have for you, I would encourage you that before you leave, you slip up here and you pick another rock up. You put it in your pocket. You take it home and you put it somewhere so that every time you see it, you're reminded of this power rock. The one you put in your pocket is the hidden one. It's the one that only you know what it means. You see, the generation that was obedient to the word of the Lord through Joshua, only they knew of the rocks in the river. Succeeding generations knew of the rocks on the river bank. That's what prompted the question. But only by that first generation knowing of the rocks in the river and them telling the story to their children and then their children and then their children did anyone even know that there was a pile of rocks in the river. You may be seated. Tina, I'm going to begin with my slides on 7654 Jerusalem, Antioch. A while back, before COVID, I 
I preach to you a sermon entitled, Which Church? Jerusalem or Antioch? I want to begin this part of the service by reminding you of seven characteristics that the Lord drew my attention to. I'm going to do them in reverse order. The seventh one that I said to you that is makes Antioch distinct from Jerusalem was our answer to the question, do we guard the gospel or do we share the gospel? Do you view the gospel as needing guarding? It's fragile. It can be damaged. It can be hurt. Do you view the gospel as powerful and needs to be released upon the world? It can guard itself. It can defend itself. Number six, I said, do we oppose the leading of the Spirit or do we follow the leading of the Spirit? The reality is, is that over time it became apparent that Jerusalem struggled to follow the leading of the Spirit because the Spirit clearly wanted the gospel taken to the entire world. And there were large influential elements in Jerusalem that that did not match their vision. They've got to become first Jews. They must hold on to some of our culture. They must do things our way. We must have supervision and control. We must give permission. The Spirit clearly did not agree with Jerusalem. And history bore it out. One of the saddest things I ever have to teach is to tell young people, men and women, that the gospel that was first shared with a Jewish nation was stamped out among them. By the time we reach the second century, history has absolutely no record of Jewish Jesus believers. They were gone. Christianity wasn't gone because Antioch and those Jews who had faith to go to a place and to speak not only to the Jews but also to the Gentiles birthed the church that you and I now are members of and in God's providence now circles back around and invites Jews to be grafted back into that which was originally from them. What a long journey. What a costly price. Do we oppose the leading of the Spirit or do we follow the leading of the Spirit? Number five, are we defeated by persecution or do we grow by persecution? And I think it's very appropriate for me to add here, do we, are we defeated by pandemics or do we grow by pandemics? Number four, do we demand our culture, our ways, our preferences, what we are used to, Or do we subordinate our culture to the scriptures? My dear brothers and sisters, please understand that when you first came to Christ, you subordinated your culture to Christ. But over the last few years, few decades that you've served him, you've created a new culture. And some of that is not wrong. But Christ demands that everything is put under his feet. Our preferences cannot supplant the gospel. Number three, do we send new members away afraid of them? What are they going to do to us? How are they going to change us? They might hurt the gospel. 
Or do we embrace new members, believing in what they will become, not what they already are, but what they will become and what they will contribute? How do we respond to those who are outside of us, who are the other? How radical is our commitment to the all? Number two, are we taking money or sending money? Jerusalem was impoverished, and the only thing I ever hear about Jerusalem and money is they kept asking for an offering, and they received an offering. Antioch, Antioch was always sending the offering. Finally, number one, are we controlling people or are we sending people? I didn't make these up. You can go back and check the archive. I didn't tweak them. I didn't change the wording of them. This is what I preached to you on a Sunday morning before COVID, before the prophetic word that came right at the time of COVID, before anything that has ensued, before anything that we have shared before the word of the Lord from Rachel today. Rachel and I did not coordinate. We never have and we never will. She'd actually prefer that we would. It'd make her feel better, but I refuse to do it because I trust her and I trust the God that we both talk to. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do this morning, but when I awoke this morning as I was getting ready, the Lord just dropped several things, and he said, you need to remind them. I've already told them. What you're calling them to is not new. What you're calling them to is not new. I've already told them. You just need to remind them. In a prophetic word, less than one month before we shut this campus down, you all have heard it before, and I'll remind you again. He said, look up, look up. My redemption draweth nigh. I am coming back for my people. I am coming to seek and to save. But I am also coming to pull away, to separate, to shake. Grab on to me. Depend on me. For a time is coming when I am all you will have, but I will be all that you need. Nick and Kiar reminded me when I met with them. I never thought of it this way, and I appreciate their word to me. I had interpreted that I am coming to pull away, to separate, to shake. I'd interpreted that as a negative. And I'm sure that there is some of that. But it's also possible to read that, that this is part of God's plan. This is part of how he does things. I'm not saying that the persecution was originated by God, but I am saying that God certainly used the persecutor who he later called to take the gospel to the Gentiles to shake up the church at Jerusalem so that a select few who were bold would go to a city called Antioch and would not only speak to those who were in their culture, who would speak not only to those who they were comfortable with, but they would step out of their comfort zone and they would do things a little different and they would try it with the Gentiles. Isn't it ironic? Isn't this the majesty of God? The man who loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, zealous beyond all of his peers, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, in error, precipitates a persecution that leads to the dispersion, the, let me use the words of the prophecy, the pulling away, the separating, the shaking of the Jerusalem church in order that others would go to a city called Antioch and would there establish a church with a mentality that was distinctly different than Jerusalem, with a spirit that was distinctly different than Jerusalem, with a motivation that was distinctly different than Jerusalem. And it is to that very church that God then sent Barnabas to go find Paul, who had spent 14 years being rejected by the church at Jerusalem, to bring him not to Jerusalem. Barnabas was in in Jerusalem. Barnabas knew how to navigate in Jerusalem. 
Barnabas was respected in Jerusalem. Barnabas was a big donor in Jerusalem. He's the one, remember, that gave of his property in the first when they sold all and put it in common. He didn't take him to Jerusalem. He took him to Antioch because he said, this is where Saul needs to be formed. This is where his spirit needs to be formed. And he took him to Antioch. And in Acts chapter 13, which I have hammered this and I will continue to hammer it to you. In Acts chapter 13, we find a description of a church that I would challenge us today. We have been called to follow. Acts chapter 13 and verse number one, among the prophets, I need you to go back, Tina, to the beginning there, if you would. I'm sorry, I went out of order on you. There you go. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. Diverse backgrounds, diverse skin colors, diverse cultures, diverse access to money. It's all packed in there. I don't have time today to unpack all of it, but if you drill down, if you do a slow read, if you pause long enough to dwell on what does it mean, the black man or Niger, what does it mean from Cyrene, What does it mean, a childhood companion of Herod Antipas? Who's Barnabas? Who's Saul? You will find that this hodgepodge, this team of people who came from very different backgrounds and very different cultures and very different perspectives, because of the persecution of Saul and the shaking and the rattling and the removing of some to other places, and the removing of others to Antioch. A church was birthed that looked at things different, that had a different motivation than Jerusalem, that was willing to send money, not just take money, with abandon. You give with abandon, New Ark. You are so faithful to the local needs. But when it comes to missions, you are crazy. You give with abandon. Your hands are wide open. We hurt when people leave. But we have committed from day one. We don't control people. And we believe in one kingdom with one king. And as long as you're still serving that king and believe in that gospel, we wish you nothing but the best. We want nothing but your welfare, and we trust the king that he will guide your steps. There's only one kingdom, and there's only one king. We don't control people. We send people. We're not just going to do it because we're Pentecostal. We are apostolic Pentecostal, but you've got to meet a higher bar than that. Just because they did it back in the old days under the brush harbors, that's not good enough. You've got to show us in Scripture. Just because we've done it for 50 years that way and it worked, that's fine. We're not judging what that is, but that's not good enough. It's got to be in the Scriptures. We must have the Spirit leading and guiding us and everything, all of our opinions and all of our what we're accustomed to and what we're comfortable with has to be continually subordinated to the Scriptures. The church at Jerusalem did not think they were not following the Spirit. They thought they were. The church at Jerusalem thought they had the Scriptures, but somehow culture had reared its head and gotten over top of the Scriptures. and God had to take a few somehow looked at it a little different and challenged them and get them out of Jerusalem and they established a church that out of it flowed Barnabas and Saul and from Barnabas and Saul flowed the greatest revival in the Gentile world and it's why every single person here with the exception of Brother Owen has any chance of going to heaven because he's the only Jew in our midst 
God's been so gracious to come back around and find you also. And many, many more that your brother Paul said, my heart beats for my brothers and my sisters to know this gospel. Jerusalem played a role, but Jerusalem also got bogged down in its culture. It got bogged down in things that were not spirit-led. They got bogged down. Lord, you know that we don't eat that food. And God says, oh, I'm sorry. What I call clean, you shouldn't be calling unclean. Sorry, the leading of my spirit gets to supersede your preferences. Sorry, my word gets to supersede. You weren't listening close enough to understand how this is going to work. You weren't listening close enough. This gospel is to go to all the world. You weren't listening close enough. When I called your father Abraham, I said all the nations of the world would be blessed. You weren't listening close enough. Everyone who blesses will be blessed, and everyone who curses will be cursed. You weren't listening close enough, my dear brothers and sisters. One day at that church, after at least a year, maybe longer, as these men were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. I don't like being a sending church. It hurts. It costs. But don't make a mistake, Newark. The fact that we're sending doesn't mean we're dying. You can't be a sending church and die. Because there's a principle of God that if you will open your hand, he says, I'll keep pouring. You close your hand, I'll shut off the windows of heaven. But if you open your hand, if you stop grasping at what wasn't yours to start with, if you'll open your hand, I will pour more. I will provide more. I will lead and guide you. Moses has just died, as Rachel read to us. Moses, one of the greatest men Israel has ever seen, a powerful warrior, if Jewish tradition is correct. Moses is dead. Who can step into Moses' shoes? (laughs) God's not sweating who we send because he's got more where you all came from. He's got more where I came from. Newark, there wasn't anything here until he sent somebody. There'll be something here as long as he keeps sending somebody. All of us are going to die one day. We don't live forever. This thing here that God has planted will live on only through the divine and sovereign action of a God. And that God says, I rule the world. I don't rule Newark, Delaware. I'm not limited to the East Coast. I'm not limited to the United States. I'm not limited to North America. I'm not limited to the Western Hemisphere. I rule the world. In fact, I'm not even limited to the earth. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. I am big. I am powerful. I see things in a way that you do not see them. And that is why we cannot reject listening to the Spirit of God. Verse number four says, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. I thought thought the ones that laid their hands on them sent them out. That's what it says, right? So after more fasting and prayer, the men, you know, Menaean and Lucius, Simeon, they sent them, right? They laid their hands on them, they sent them. Verse 4 tells us that the agency of the Spirit is through the obedience of the body. Somebody needs to write that down and hold on to it because that's a whole lot smarter than what my brain can produce. 
The agency of the spirit is affected by the obedience of the body. Newark, today we are going to be obedient so that the agency of the spirit can do what he so chooses. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. But I did not deny myself in order to not do this thing. We either serve him or we don't. He's either king or he's not. He's either the Lord of everything or he's the Lord of nothing. We are either his servants or we are his masters. There is no in-between. You've got to make up your mind. Which way is it going to be? As for me, God is king. His word is rule. I follow it whether I like it or not. And tell you, brother and sister, I know how to belch and moan at him. But in the end, we're going to do what thus saith the word of the Lord. Period. No matter the cost. No matter the uncomfortableness. Because at his word, the heavens were created. At his word, we live. At his word, light came into existence. You see, the word of the Lord is more powerful than anything else. It doesn't bend to circumstances. It bends circumstances to him. It doesn't bend to sickness. It bends sickness to him. This God, he doesn't. He didn't worry about the economy. How did we do it through COVID? How did we continue to do what we did financially through COVID? How did that happen? How was God faithful to you? Drill it down to your own particular lives. How were you provided for? Because my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so today, Rachel has called us to commit to crossing this river taking the next steps. And this that we're doing with the Lugo family is one piece of that larger picture. I made sure to get one of the stones and bring it to her because she's, she's building this rock right along, or this, this, this pile right along with us. We're all in this together. We're all in submission to him. I want whatever the spirit wants. But it's going to be affected by my obedience. It's going to be affected by your obedience. As long as I have any leadership in your midst, we must refuse to be Jerusalem. We must insist on being Antioch. I'd like for the Lugo family, the entire family, to come and stand here in the front. Dear brothers and sisters, I promise you, all of the steps and the process of discernment that have led to this day did not happen overnight. Sister Betty, I, I appreciate your comment on Facebook. I, you made me chuckle after one service. I don't even remember what it was, but you said, deliberate is Stephen Beardsley's middle name. You're too kind. I'm actually not as deliberate as you give me credit for, but the spirit is extremely deliberate. We didn't do this willy-nilly. Nothing that is happening in our midst is happening willy-nilly. COVID slowed us down. It made us ponder and consider. And all through it, the spirit has spoken with certainty and clarity. Oh, it requires faith. When we looked at Desi and Rachel and they said we feel that missions is, is on our docket and we've got to raise this budget. I'm going to tell on Desi. Desi had a panic look in his eye. Desi was looking at Steve going, can, can, can you make this feel better? I know you know how to do things with money. Can you make this can you make this feel better? He didn't say it, but I saw it. 
I'm sitting there sweating it because I'm known as the hard nose, and I didn't want to be the hard nose, and I was so appreciative. My father-in-law is normally the one that doesn't say hardly anything. He's so quiet and demure, but I, oh, Dad, I appreciated that moment because on that Zoom call, he just looked at him and said, you two need to go get hungry. Mm, I know that put a shiver down Desi's spine, and it put Rachel in a panic. Because I was around when she was jacking Desi up. What are we doing? How are we raising this money? How's this going to work? What are we doing? I wasn't there, but I know what you were doing. He supplied, didn't he? He showed out, didn't he? Dude, you didn't just get the God of enough. You got the God of more than enough on this one. He did it other places, and then he did it in your home church. He's just showing off now. He's just flat showing off. God's just being, he's not even being reasonable at all. He's just showing off. How does this little congregation give $37,000? Because my God supplies all our needs. My God knows how to lead and guide. We didn't run a pledge campaign. We told you to pray, and you know how to pray. Keep praying, Newark. Every step we have to take for the future requires you to just keep praying. And whatever he tells you to do, do it heartily and with everything in you. He'll not abandon you and he will not forsake you. Be strong, he said to Joshua. Be courageous. I'm not courageous, I'm afraid. So were they. In that time of discernment where they came to tell us that the time of their being with us was drawn to a close, they were afraid to do it, and they were afraid to tell me. I've never, I've never acknowledged that to both of you, but I know. They were afraid of what I was going to do. I wasn't happy. They didn't just show up accidentally, ladies and gentlemen. I, I, I went and found them. I'm not saying that the sanctuary was Tarsus. Sister Michelle, that, that's not what I'm saying. But I went and found them. Like your husband, <laughs> I know he loves them because he interrogated me for 20 minutes about what I was doing. <laughs> it cracked me up. But anyway, he did. And when Scott Graham decides to interrogate you, it, it feels a little bit like an interrogation. He didn't want me messing around with these people. I, 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 I went and got them. I had plans. You think that team in Antioch, they didn't have plans? You think they weren't structured? You think they didn't know what they were doing? That's what they were doing. And then the Spirit just says, <clears throat> yes, Lord, uh, those two. Send them away. What do you mean send them away? I know that Antioch, I don't know what happened with Antioch in detail, but I know that Antioch continued to be a growing church. You know why? Because every time Barnabas and Saul came off the mission field, guess where they went first? Not to Jerusalem. They went to Antioch. There they would report what God had done and then would proceed with an offering down to Jerusalem. So today, we send them. We send them because the agency of the Spirit is affected through the obedience of his body. We send them. I don't want to be rude to the United Pentecostal Church, and I love the United Pentecostal Church, and you know we, we, we support the United Pentecostal Church and its missionaries. But forgive me, United Pentecostal Church. We are sending the Lugos. You are second. We are sending the Lugos. We are taking two powerful members of a team. And we are trusting the Almighty that he has provision for us. And we are sending them to another place. Because the Spirit says, I have a work for them. Separate them. Our hands are going to descend on their head. And through our hands, his Spirit will send them forth. So Desi and Rachel... Desi J, Kendall, Dinah, I want you to step forward.
I want the congregation to stand. Obviously, all of you cannot fit in this altar. But right now, as the Spirit leads and guides you, those of you that feel to do so, would you please come and would you lay your hands upon these? I'm not laying my hands. I've already done that. I've already done my part. Would you, the congregation, come and begin to lay your hands upon them, separate them unto the work whereunto God has called them? Would you come? Would you lay your hands upon them? Come ahead. I'm not forcing you to do it if you're uncomfortable coming, but I want some people from the congregation to come and lay their hands upon them. It is you, the people. It is not the ministry. It is you, the people, who are sending them unto the work whereunto they are called. We've dedicated ourselves to this crossover, but now this is a piece of that. It is our authority that the Spirit is working through. Jesus, God, we pray the anointing of your presence upon them, Lord Jesus, right now. God, we have heard your voice, and we are obedient, Lord. We do not always understand. We do not always like what you have to say. But, Almighty God, we send them now. We commission them. God, by the power and the anointing of your spirit, we anoint them for the work whereunto you have called them. Bring them back safely to us time and time again with the reports of great revival so that we may rejoice at the working of your spirit through our own. God, anoint every one of them, Lord Jesus. God, let the power of your spirit flow through them. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you and we worship you, almighty God, for you are great. You are awesome. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Now across this congregation, would you worship the King of Kings? Would you lift your hands in the air? Would you lift your voice to Jesus? And would you give him the praise? Hallelujah, hallelujah. This family's not leaving us. This family's simply been assigned another post. They're still in the same kingdom. They're still in the same army. They're still serving the same king. They're still a part of what we are doing. Mighty God, I love you and I worship you. Mighty God, I love you and I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. You may all be seated. And now... We transition to a very biblical thing in the midst of fellowship, in the midst of breaking of bread. We're allowed to grieve our loss. I told Desi and Rachel, I said, it is critical that you allow us to celebrate you, but it's critical that you allow us to say goodbye to you for a season. There's a grief in that. And so I expect you, Desi and Rachel, I'll get you food on the way down. But you need to just be deluged. I don't really have to tell you to because you're nuts about that anyway. But let them know that you love them. Let them know that you're going to pray for them. Let them know that you're going to be faithful in your missions given because we're given to them every month in addition to that offering we took. Let them know that you look forward to the day they come back with a report about what God has done. A report that might shake us. A report that might go places that we weren't expecting. A report that might go outside of our expectations. 
but a report that we as of the Antioch Church did multiple times will rejoice at what God has done. Jesus, by the way, you're going to do that out there. Don't do it here. Desi and Rachel, get over there so you can get food. If you're more comfortable out under the tent, then stay out under the tent. If you're more comfortable inside, go inside. There's food in both places. Am I right? There's food in both places. It's available to you. But be sure and greet them. When we're done here, they're getting in a car. I'm taking them to the airport. They're going south again. And then from there, as the Lord opens the doors, Vanuatu is their next destination. And we will hear from them what God has done. Jesus, God, we knew this would be a unique service. For this is a unique time. We have collectively humbled ourselves before your word. We've collectively humbled ourselves before the direction of your spirit. God, help this not simply to be a moment, but a crossing, a moving from one place to another for a purpose that you have ordained. Empower us. Give us courage. Help us to walk with you in peace. And to not be afraid. For you are the Lord of heaven's armies. And you will be faithful to us. God, I pray that you be with the Lugos. May your hand guide them. May your strength empower them. May your spirit surround them. And God, we speak in the name of Jesus that every evil force is bound by your name. May the word of God go forth unfettered uninhibited, and may you use them in your kingdom the way that you so choose. Use us all as you so choose, my master. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. So that didn't count. Bless it early, bless it late. Bless the food we're already eating. No. God bless it. Thank you for the food. Thank you for the provision. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.